Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Barbara Botner. Barbara is a New York Times bestselling author. Since growing up in the 1960s Bronx, Barbara has had a hand in almost every aspect of book publishing. She has written and illustrated over 50 books for children, has reviewed books for major trade and consumer publications, such as the New York Times, published short stories and essays in national newspapers and magazines, has written sitcoms and screenplays, and has been teaching writing and illustrating in major institutions, including UCLA, Otis Parsons, and the University of Miami since 1973. Barbara's first young adult novel since the 1980s, I Am Here Now, just released in August, and is on sale now. Set in the 1960s, I Am Here Now is a heartbreaking, powerful, and inspiring novel and verse about one artist coming of age, a strong depiction of what it's like to shatter your life and piece it all back together. Barbara, thank you for listening to me read your bio and you know a short description of the book. How did I do? You did great, and I'm really glad to be here. We're happy to have you too, and congratulations on I'm Here Now. How are you feeling about it? I'm feeling very good about it. I don't want to brag on myself, but I, I, I will say that I guess I feel like um, I've achieved something in this book that almost surprised me because it's kind of like a, an imprint of my life. But because I discovered free verse as a great way for me to express myself, you know, I think a little magic happened in this book. And um, right now I'm writing a prose YA, and it's such a different experience. Um, for some reason, free verse like liberated me, and I think all writers should experiment with it because it gives you a different way into the material. So I'm proud of the book. I, I'm really proud of the book, and I hope you know it gets a lot of readers. Before we talk about the book, my first question is always, where are you in the world right now? So I would love to hear where are you based? I'm in Los Angeles. I'm a New Yorker, but I've been living here for, I don't know, decades, I think, with, a, with one hiatus in, in living in Florida. Um, but I've also, I lived in Paris. I went to school in Wisconsin. I went to school in Boston. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm a citizen of the world, but I, I live in LA. You're a citizen of the world. Obviously, right now, everyone is in quarantine. So how does writing during quarantine, how is it different? Well, right now I'm working, you know, I, I always worked, well, I'm still teaching. So I have a group of wonderful, I call it a master class. They're, they're all extremely talented and accomplished writers. So that, that connects me to the world. And then I have a workshop group that I participate in, but also sort of lead. So that keeps me connected to the world. And yeah, I mean, we're all feeling the weight of having to be, you know, isolated and in quarantine. But um, for me, you know, every day that I wake up able to write is a day that I feel I've been productive and it's a day well spent. Um, so it's probably not as hard on 
on a writer as it is on people who are in more of a social situation in their work life. And then suddenly they have to experience day after day of being alone. But, you know, it does get redundant. My husband and I look at each other and we go, oh, it's time to take out the garbage again, you know, because it's a week later. And we go, didn't we just take it out yesterday? So time, (laughs) you know, time has really, you know, time has really felt different, um, you know, to us. And I think a lot of people because of the sameness of the days. But right now I'm closing in on finishing a draft of a novel. So like I said, I still feel like I can spend my days, you know, productively and still have some excitement which happens at your desk. Do you have any suggestions for those writers who are listening, who are maybe struggling right now with everything that's going on in the world, but also kind of feeling restless and stuck inside, but also maybe struggling with writer's block? Do you have any words of wisdom for those who are kind of trying to find inspiration right now? Oh boy. Well, you know, writer's block is such a weighted phrase. You know, I I don't even want to touch it really because, you know, I'm not sure what it really is, but you know, I do know that that writers come up against a wall. Um, you know, during the process of of whatever enterprise they're um, attacking, um, I I just think that one thing you have to factor it in. I mean, when I was writing for television and features, I had a partner, and and we we loved each other, and we we had a very smooth you know connection. But every once in a while, she would literally fall asleep during our sessions, and, <laughs> and I would sit there and go, you know how you know he, here we are two very enlivened brains. How could she fall asleep? And you know I just think that you you have to understand that it is part of being a creative person that either you're going to fall asleep or your machine is going to fall asleep or your partner is going to fall asleep or your editor's not going to get back to you. I just think you have to know that going in and, you know, not be traumatized every time it happens because, you know, having taught, I've been teaching for like 45 years and um, I, I'm so used to my students coming in with, you know, whatever that thing is that people call writer's block. And, you know, I, I, I always encourage them to um, just, and, and people, you know, with their terrible first drafts and, you know, they're failing and, the, you know, their illustrations aren't working or whatever. And I just always remind them that, you know, you always think your first draft is terrible. That's who you are. You're a person who hates their first draft. So can we, you know, move along? You know, so you just have to factor it in. But on the other hand, you know, I I think you can't be defeated by by every time something isn't working out, you know, Um, because, you know, I can say after all these years of my, you know, career that, you know, you're really always you really are always going forward, even with the failures. You're discovering things because a failure is an attempt to do something where you learn that that thing doesn't work. So that still actually leads back to going forward. Love that. You know, we just talked about some words of wisdom for those writers who are aspiring and working on their own books and projects now. But what about your journey to get to this point? Could you walk us through your own journey in your own words? Yeah, it's an interesting question to answer for me because I've had a very odd way into to be coming a writer I started out as a, started out as a dancer when I was young and then I went to school and got a degree in painting because that was really 
what I thought I would be doing. I thought I'd be doing some kind of visual arts. And when I got out of college, you know, there's no job for a painter, you know, it just doesn't exist. So I decided I, I fell in love with children's books. I found myself in the section of the bookstore looking at these books and, and it was, my dad was in advertising. He wanted me to go into advertising. I had no interest. I was a hippie. I didn't want to be a capitalist, you know, all of that stuff. So I saw, I saw the art in picture books and I fell in love and I, you know, took a, uh, one class, I think. And I was lucky that back then in New York, you could sail into an editor's office if you had something going for you and they would talk to you and they would show you books and they'd send you home with books. And what they were telling me was, you know what, you should write your own material. And I think that was because my art, which was, you know, fairly good, but wasn't incredibly brilliant. They felt that if I wrote my own manuscripts, I would basically be giving myself a job which, as the illustrator, as opposed to trying to compete just as an illustrator. Um, so I followed their suggestions. I wrote a couple of things. I think the third thing I wrote got bought. Um, and so I was, you know, and oddly enough, after one book being published, I was hired to teach at the new school, uh, which was just a kind of silly synchronicity of things that happened where the teacher was leaving the day that I went in to see the dean. The person who had been teaching was leaving and the dean looked at me, saw my one book and said, okay, you know, sure. And so that was kismet because I really, yeah, I did have a certain ability to teach um, and teaching really changed me as a person because you have to be a generous person to teach. And I grew up in this novel, you know, you, anyone who reads it will see, I grew up under very dire circumstances and I did not have support and I did not have love and I didn't, you know, I didn't have any things you really need as a human. So I wasn't really poised to become this generous, you know, soul. But once I saw a classroom of would-be writers and illustrators, you know, who really opened my heart because they wanted to do what I was doing, and I wanted to help them. So that really awakened a lot in me. And and I also had to sort of invent what a story was like on my feet because I, I didn't take a single creative writing or English class in college, I, not a single one. So I, I had none of the basics at all. You know, I was just discovering it for myself. So as I did that, you know, what's a, what's a complication? What's the climax? You know, what's the turning point? What's, you know, all of, all of that, what's the character? You know, I, I had to do that facing 25, 30 people in New York city. And that's how I actually learned what stories were. Um, so then as I was, I was helping these new people, you know, get their foot in the door. And a lot of them did like, think, I think my first success was um, Laura Numeroff did her first book in my class. And she, of course, went on to do If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. And Bruce Deegan was teaching high school very unhappily. He was my student. And I looked at his work and I said, you know, you're going to make it. You don't have to worry. He still thanks me to this day because I just, you know, I just saw the talent. Um, anyway, as all of this went on, I started to fall in love with storytelling and I started to challenge myself to write longer 
longer books, you know, subplots. You know, I just I just started to peel away all all the elements of of what it is to tell the story. And, you know, I learned it. I was an autodidact. I learned it from myself, but with the added motivation of helping my students. And then eventually when I came out here, well, I, you know, then I ended up in New York doing storyboards for Sesame Street and the Electric Company. And I won a, an award in Annecy, which is an international animation festival for best film for tv so along the way i was getting the feedback from the world that you know i had something to offer and um that i should keep going but that was helpful (laughs) and then i moved out here and of course my friends were writing screenplays and during my dating life i i started to write you know my experiences for cosmopolitan and playgirl and you know i just tackled I tackled every arena I could. I wrote lyrics for Jim Henson. Um, you know, there, there were the world was not filled with 100% writers because now, of course, we have so many outlets that everyone is able to tap into their creativity and get a little bit of, you know, notice, which is great. But back then it was less less uh, less available so there was really more opportunity for each and every person who wanted to do it you know it was a little easier um so i just kept going and um you know i ended up at least in one primetime sitcom which is something i set as a goal for myself um and uh, you know i just kept going that's all i can say i just kept going <laughs> bottom line love that you mentioned teaching i would love to discuss your process for writing using I Am Here Now as an example. Before we do, are you cool with me reading a slightly longer description of the book, just for those listening? Sure. Set in the 1960s, Barbara Botner's I Am Here Now is a beautiful novel in verse about one artist coming of age. It's a heartbreaking, powerful, and inspiring depiction of what it's like to shatter your life, to get all back together. You can't trust life to give you decent parents or beautiful eyes, a fine French accent, or an outstanding flair for fashion. No life does what it wants. It's sneaky as a thief. Maisie's first day of high school should be exciting, but all she wants is to escape. Her world is lonely and chaotic with an abusive mother and a father who's rarely there to help. So when Maisie, who finds refuge in her art, meets the spirited Rachel and her mother, a painter, she catches a glimpse of a very different world, one full of life, creativity, and love, and latches on. But as she discovers her strengths through Rachel's family, Maisie, increasingly desperate, finds herself risking new friendships and the very future she's searching for. And I have a quote, rife with teen appealing domestic and relationship drama, heartbreakingly rendered. That's from Horn Book Review. That is the book. Really excited about this book. And I would love to find out, my first question on the process side is the inception of the idea. Obviously, you mentioned it's based on your own life. So how do you go about A, choosing that you want to tell a story that's rooted in your own life? And then how do you even begin to piece that all together? Well, you know, one of the things I say to my, you don't know, but one of the things I say to my students is go where the screaming is the loudest. In other words, it's the un, uh, the unprocessed, most bothersome um, parts of your life that give you your material in most cases. I mean, some people can write purely from the joy of their life and God bless anybody who can. But I find that what drives a writer to do the work is that there's there's this there's some itch there's some there's some place that's very uncomfortable that needs to be explored 
and tackled and in some cases, you know, overcome. Um, so that's why I say go where the screaming is the loudest because writing is very lonely and it is very demanding. And if you don't feel the necessity of telling a story, you're probably not going to tell it. One of the best years of my life was I lived in Paris as an art student. Um, I had a boyfriend and he had two roommates. We all lived together. We had four motorcycles. I painted every day. We zoomed around Paris uh, at night to the cinema, to restaurants, private art collections. I've never written about that year. It was a perfect year. I mean, I can just say, yeah, it was great, but I don't have anything left over. There's no um, difficulty. There's no. There's nothing really to tell except that it was a great year. So I think that most writers need to confront the stuff that is not resolved. And also for in writing for children, I also advise people to find out what year they're sort of, you know, I hate to use this phrase, but it's the one I use. They're sort of inner child that has, has had the most trouble um, growing up, maturing, being bullied, feeling left out, whatever those things might be. You know, so in my case, um, I was both lucky and unlucky in that I had a lot of different ages <laughs> that needed resolution, you know, but sometimes people come to me, they want to write a picture book and they try and their picture books are not bad, you know, but it turns out that really they have a 10 year old that really wants to speak an inner 10 year old, or they have a 13 year old that really wants to speak. So part of my work with them is to help open up what that connection really is that needs to speak. And, you know, once they make that connection, the work becomes way easier because when you give the microphone to that part of you that has a lot to say about how miserable it was to be in the seventh grade or to be, you know, in the 12th grade, that part, you know, is ready to talk. Um, so that's part of what I do with, have done with myself. And in terms of I am here now, um, which I, I don't know if we had enough time, but I'd love to read a passage because I think it's more effective than even describing That would be amazing. Yeah, I would oh, love okay. that. I have to find something that works here. But um, when I read a few of the free verse novels, um, which I just came upon very unexpectedly, and I, the minute I started to read these books, I knew that it was something for me. I knew that I could tell my story this way because in a lot of ways, having, you know, having written so many picture books, free verse is, is basically small bites that you take out of the material you're going to write. And of course, writing picture books is exactly that. So it's almost like free verse is, you know, 200 picture books or something like that, because it was very familiar is what I'm trying to say to my, you know, to my experience as a picture book author so it, it it just it just rang true i just went oh i can tell my story and yeah and in a lot of ways it was like a coming out for me writing this book because i written two ya novels and a couple of middle grades before that which try to tackle some of the stuff that was still in me um but i knew that there was i knew i had i knew i wanted to tell one more i try it one more time because I wanted to deal 
you know, in a very real way with some of the abuse, but in a way that wouldn't just be a misery for the reader. I mean, you just, you can tell your story, but you, you know, you're still, you have to engage the reader and you can't just make them miserable for 200 or 300 pages. That never works. Let me see if I can see what I'm, uh, okay. Can I read something? Yeah. Just, okay. This is called escaping. Um, Maisie has made, made this trip to New York um, with her best friend and her best friend's mother. A lot of the book has to do with her best friend's mother and how this woman has been a real inspiration and mentor to her. Let me see. I didn't prepare this, so I'm just going to read one little piece. It's called Escape. She's gotten her best friend's mother, her best friend, the best friend's boyfriend, who she lusts for, to go to New York to, um, to the Museum of Modern Art. And I guess this is them coming home. Yeah, this is them coming home from this little trip they had. It's called Escaping. Chugging along on the East River Drive in heavy traffic, heading for the Triborough Bridge, everyone's quiet. Kiki, who's the mother, flicks her cigarette out the window. Gino, the boyfriend, grabs Rachel's hand in the front seat. She giggles happily. Finally, I say, I love that artists get to live inside their dreams and imaginations instead of crummy reality. That's what Kiki does, says Rachel. Between being covered in oil paint and drinking, she escapes every day. Right, Mom? Are you picking a fight with your mother, Gino asks, after this great trip? Thank you, Gino, says Kiki. Rachel mumbles, no, I'm sorry. I see Kiki wink at Gino through the rear view. He's on top of his parent game, that's for sure. I take out my Chelichev postcard and stare, try to get my mind off this living, breathing work of art sitting right next to me. So that's kind of out of context, but she's just, you know, Love awed it. by this boy. And she's also been awed by the painters, which is her way out of this, you know, very troubling family. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favourite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. 
So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. You mentioned the prose versus free verse and kind of went into it a little bit. But for those listening, if they don't know the differences of those two things, could you walk us through that a little bit? Well, prose is the way most books are written. You know, it's in terms of what you're seeing on the page. You know, the lines go right across the page. There's dialogue. And it's, you know, it's a very continuing narrative, you know, often in chapters, right? Uh, Free verse, it's called um, free verse poetry. Um, I never set out to write, I would never call myself a poet in a million years, but what you see on the page is there are blocks of writing. Most of the sentences don't go across the page. Um, It's a sort of truncated form. Um, Let me just stare at it for a minute. One of the things I loved about it is you can shift point. You can shift the storyteller very quickly. In narrative, right now I'm writing a book that has alternating people who are narrating the book. Two different people are narrating the book. In free verse, you can actually skip around to different narrators. Um, it's kind of like a spotlight where someone talks. Like if you see, if you can visualize them on stage, maybe you have five people on stage, and and one of them starts talking and telling part of the story and then you can switch to somebody else on stage and they're telling another angle of that story so it's you can feature different storytellers and switch back and forth very quickly there was a play in the i don't know 70s called um there were a couple but one was um oh okay, now I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it for colored girls who've considered suicide when the moon is not enough or something like that for colored girls who've considered suicide is the shorter. Uh, and it was a bunch of women sitting around and they each told their story alternatively. So I'm not sure if that helps very much, but um, I found it to be a fascinating way to tell a story. Um, it's just really, it really helped me. Uh, it was, I, I think everybody should, well, read my book and then you can see what it's like. But there are other books too, of course, that use this, this kind of narrative. And uh, it may be a fit for the writers out there. You know, it may be a fit that they didn't expect to be attracted to, but it, you know, it might suit them better than prose. You mentioned that you transitioned from children's books, and this was a somewhat seamless transition to writing in this style. Can you walk us through the process of going from that style of writing to this style of writing and what made it natural for you? Well, like I said, you know, picture books are very economical. Um, now they want them to be 500 words or less. I mean, that's a very, you know, that's two pages, basically. I write them a little bit longer than that very often, but still, it's a very economical style, and you get to focus on every word, every sentence. It's almost like, I used to say to my students, it's like you're a gangster in a holdup, and, and you're pointing the gun at every single sentence and saying, do you have to be here? Are you necessary? Every piece of dialogue, you know, do you have to be here? And and so you really learn an incredible way to um, focus on what absolutely is necessary to tell your story. You get very good at throwing stuff away. And also, you know, I've been teaching that too. So, like, I can look at a page of writing and almost immediately tell you, you know, where the 
redundancy is, where the unnecessary adjectives are, where the where the run on sentences are. I mean, you get you know, it's a skill after a while. It's just a skill. So I have that skill. And when I saw free verse, like I said, it, it kind of reminded me of lots and lots of different picture books because it was, it's very economical. You can tell a lot of story in a very short period of time. So in that way, when I met this format, like way on in my career, it, it, it was very familiar to me. It was, and it made it, I could see that I could do in a novel what I was already doing in picture books, which is master a piece of a story in a very short form. And so it was, it was like, it was like meeting your best friend after decades and going, oh, here you are, you know, um, you can help me. Uh, release this material that I've been carrying my whole life and that I've had to deal with psychologically and, you know, being a Buddhist and trips to India and, you know, in therapy, like all of this stuff that was still in me, I could see that Freeverse would release it. And it did. Love that. For those writers who are interested in exploring Freeverse and maybe want to write their own Freeverse book and eventually get it published, would you say that it's challenging? for especially up-and-coming writers to write in free verse and get that published as opposed to writing in prose. Obviously, you mentioned prose is maybe a bit more common, but from your perspective, is it a little bit more difficult to get a free verse book published? You know, it's a good question, Court. It really is. But right now in publishing, there's such mayhem. (laughs) Everything's, you know, upended in New York right now. (laughs) But I'd say the common, you know, the common wisdom is that it's more difficult. And in my own experience, this book really, you know, just came right out of me in free verse. And then my agent was quite worried that it would be too hard of a sell. So he asked me to put it into prose, which I did. And then we tried to sell it in prose. And I didn't recognize at the time that the prose version was just an absolute mess and we should have never come out with it at all. I mean, it was just, it just awful. It was really awful. And finally, you know, I got rejected. And finally I said to myself, whatever this book is going to be, it wants to be in free verse. And I have to trust that, you know, as a creator that I knew what I was doing, put it back in free verse and then it did sell. So I think it's a lot of it has to do with is the format going to enhance the story that you're trying to tell? If you find, you know, I would advise people who want to try it to read lots of free verse. And if, if you end up saying, hot diggity dog, this is exactly what I need for my story, then proceed, you know. Or sometimes it could be a middle step. You know, I have a student who, who wrote it in free verse and then put it back into prose. So it's a matter of, like I said, is it a good match for the material? Because if it's truly a good match for the material, if it, if it lights your fire, you know, if it, if it just makes everything easier and if it makes it more fun for the writer, then you should definitely stick with it because you're going to get a better result. And a better result always makes it easier to get published. So in a certain way, it's irrelevant really, you know, because it really has to do with the artistic process and the story that's inside the writer. Love that. Can you talk to us about how YA has changed over time? 
Absolutely. Um, you know, and now YA is often crossover and, you know, there's a lot of movies that are being made out of YA. Yeah. Originally, I mean, I think YA is, it was helpful in a way to get books to teenagers when it was first really being promulgated in the 1960s. Um, Paul Zindel and Emmy Kerr and Catherine Patterson, Judy Bloom, of course, who was more middle grade, but also YA. You know, these people really made it possible for teenagers to feel comfortable reading material that was very much directed by them, uh, for them. Um, so it was a great boon, you know, to have that category. Then as people started to be attracted to writing in the format, it got expanded, you know, especially I love the Book Thief. You know, that that broke the format a lot, brought it more into, I think it's it's part of the curriculum in a lot of places, but it's also it's also recognized as a book for adults, which a lot of people have told me I am here now is also truly a lot. Of my adult friends can't even believe that there's a category that would limit I am here now to teenagers because they all feel it's extremely relevant. So it has been more accepted by uh, the adult audience. And I think one day it probably YA will even disappear as a, as a category because, um, you know, you could say the catcher in the rye is, is YA or, you know, Huckleberry Finn, you know, any of the great classics that are starring, you know, protagonists that are younger, um, you could, you could say, well, that should be YA, but you know, if it's a great work of art, it transcends that. So, um, and I, I can tell you, I've read YA that there's no reason for it to be in that category. It's, it's way beyond YA, but, you know, on the plus side, it does offer teenagers, you know, some guidance about this is a story that you will relate to because the protagonist is facing the kinds of problems and the kinds of predicaments that you're facing. So it was very useful, you know, but maybe has expired in terms of that. Barbara, what's next for you after this book? You know, you mentioned you're writing something else and you've written so much. So what are the milestones so that much, you're... I have so much to write and, you know, I'm so much older now that I, I hope I have enough time to write everything. I'm writing a kind of a political YA now that's with the canvases way larger um, and, and deals with addiction, um, racism, <laughs> promiscuity. I mean, it's dealing with a lot, uh, you know, 12 steps. It's dealing with a lot of stuff. Bigger canvas um, told from alternative points of view of one boy and one girl who should never even like each other are telling the story. And then I've been really encouraged by so many people to write a memoir because I've had really an amazing life in the arts. You know, I, uh, last night I was on a Zoom call with from my days in the theater, um, from cafe, I did off Broadway theater, toured Europe, worked with Sam Shepard, you know, worked with great writers. And so a lot of people want me to write a memoir. I always write picture books. I just wrote a picture book about my dog. So I'll always write those. I mean, I see the world in terms of picture books. So, you know, sometimes it almost bothers me because I'll think I have to finish this novel, but then I I got this great, funny idea for a picture book and I have to sit down and write it. So, I mean, I'm never without, I'm never without something to write. I have a book for adults that 
has been excerpted in a lot of literary magazines. That's a, a funny, a sort of funny and sad book about marriage. So I'd love to get that. And then I also, I do spoken words. Sometimes I do my own work as an actor in, you know, theatrical settings. And then I also write for the Jewish Women's Theater. I write small theatrical pieces. So I have a lot of next. I'm overwhelmed, you know. I could be writing, you know, 16 hours a day if I was really disciplined. But, you know, you've got to eat, you've got to talk to your husband, you've got to walk your dog. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot, of, a lot of stuff ahead of me. What about milestones in other mediums? Obviously, you mentioned a bunch of mediums, but what about the comic book? Strangely not, because... I did do storyboards for the electric company and Sesame Street, you know, that got into, you know, they became films. And I storyboarded a couple of my um, picture books for animations and one won a Golden Eagle, I think is what it's called. But I forget the name of the award. Yeah, but I, I find the density of that form is not, I don't, not attracted to it anymore. I mean, back in when I was younger, I, you know, like I said, I made animated films, I directed them, I produced them, I designed them. So that was a form very similar to graphic novels in terms of what, you know, storyboards. But I have no, I have no, no attraction anymore. But, you know, great work is being done in that way. It's just not, no, I'm not so much a visual, I, I'm not telling stories visually anymore. You know, I'm, I'm more literary at this point. So but bless everybody who is. It's a great forum. I'm glad it's opened up for people. Barbara, are you ready for a couple bonus questions we call a series of seemingly random questions? Sure. The first one, you mentioned earlier with this book that the magic happened. Yeah. Is there a way you would describe what that magic is and how writers can find the magic? Well, you know, magic, I use that word because it is kind of a mystery, but you know, my guidance has always been for writers to be brave and to tell the tell the most difficult stories. Um, and I, I also believe that once you tell the most difficult stories, all the other stories open up for you. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people just not, you know, being afraid, I should say, to go, like, I'm going to use that phrase again, go where the shouting is the loudest. Like, I remember... When I, I came back here to California after living in Florida in, I think, 2005, and I, a bunch of people gathered at my house. They wanted, to, you know, they wanted me to teach. And someone came in with an ABC story. Now, I myself have written an ABC story called The Annoying ABC for Kids. And she came in with this story, and I, I just looked at her and I said, you know, like, why? It's kind of almost like, is this all you got? It's almost what, it, and I was told later on that my first class, that people went home crying because I was very confrontive. And um, I didn't, it certainly did not intend for people to go home crying. But this one person later came back with a terrific middle grade novel, just wonderful. Unfortunately, she never pursued it to the very end, but it was a great example of me just saying, is this all you got? Like, I know there's more to you. I know there's something more important in your life to talk about. And she ended up writing a wonderful thing about, actually, it was about her sons, but it was very personal to her. And if she had pursued it, no question, she would have published it. So, I mean, that's kind of my style is to really say to people, is this all you got? Like, 
I want you to engage me on the deepest level of who you are and of what you have to tell me about what it is to be a human being. And if you're not doing that for yourself, you're going to tire of your work, you know, and I'm certainly going to tire of your work. Like you have to take me out of my everyday life to be with you in your deepest, most troubling or most challenging or most painful uh, part of who you are and how you dealt with that. And maybe it's not even you. Maybe it's, maybe it's some, you know, some hero that you want to write about that resonates to you because he or she went through things that you totally can understand from the depth of who you are. And you're willing to tell that story because it means so much to you and you resonate with it on such a deep level that you have to talk about that person and how it was in Poland or in, you know, in Rwanda or whatever. Like you have to engage me on the most basic level of your own humanity. And if you're not doing that, like I said, you're, you're just going to grow tired of the project or people are just not going to be compelled. And if you can do that early on in your career, then you will have dealt with some really important material in your own life. And what that will do is free you. Because I write comedy all the time. It's not like I'm this dreadful, dreadfully serious, grim person. But I really believe that until you deal with all of that stuff that has made life a little... I don't believe you'd be a writer if you didn't have places in your life that were pretty challenging. So until you deal with it, I think it's harder to become, you know, a very entertaining, humorous writer. You just got to go there. That's my advice. Just go there. The next question, if you could take any writer, living or dead, to any fast food restaurant, which writer would you choose, which restaurant and why? Oh, a fast food restaurant? Okay. Well, I think (laughs) I would probably take Fyodor Dostoevsky and probably to Fatburger. Not that I go to Fatburger, but I just know it's a really big, nutritious burger and I'd want to feed Dostoevsky (laughs) something really hearty because he's Russian. My last question is, you just mentioned your advice for finding the magic in writing and also you teach. So if you could choose one learning or insight from your entire career, if you had to say one thing, to the writers listening, is there one piece of advice you would give? You know, I have, I have so many pieces. One piece. I would say be courageous. You know, be courageous. But try to light up the world with something we haven't seen or heard. You know, the only way you can do that is offering your full self. You know, really, really, you have to... Originality is really just a word for, you know, tell me who you are. Tell me what you've lived through. Please, you know, be courageous, you know, be naked. I really think that's what it's about. Love that. And the very, very last question, the last and the most important one is, did you have fun with us talking about your writing process today? I did. It's always fun for me to, you know, share what I've been living through and with and learned, you know, for such a long career. It's nice to have the opportunity to share that. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, thank you. I Am Here Now just released in August and is on sale now. If you're listening, please check it out. Consider buying it if you enjoyed this podcast. And thank you, Barbara. We had a lot of fun. Did you want to plug anything? Website, social media, Twitter, anything that you want to like, oh, shout gosh. out? Well, I'm mostly on Facebook. So if people want to find me, I am on Facebook. And I just think 
I think all the things that I've been encouraging people to do, you know, in terms of their own work, I think I did do that and I am here now. So I think that would be a good place to start. Well, thank you, Barbara, so much for your insights and your time. It was really an honor. Thank you. Thanks, Court. Thank you so much. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.